and through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being served. Okay, I'm on. Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, for those of you who are guests with us, I'm, uh, my name is Amari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And uh, I apologize for the uh, calling the audible on you and changing the scripture. And it's probably a little confusing and throwing you off a little bit. And uh, maybe erase this part from the recording. But uh, we had some uh, administrative difficulties over the weekend. And I had my hands full just trying to get um, some things done for nursery and stuff like that. And I mentioned all that just to say that, um, man, we need to, I would love to find out a way uh, how to find out like the different ways, the different gifts that everyone in our congregation has um, administratively and uh, when it comes to communications and all that kind of stuff um, because uh, our body needs it. And uh, we have many uh, duties, uh, things that we are not just struggling with, but things that we would like to do. Uh, moving forward to go deeper into ministry in our city and your participation, uh, even in some of the smallest ways in terms of administration and ministry and such will be extremely helpful. Um, so yeah, I got, I got backlogged with some stuff um, concerning some of our ministries and had to change the text. But hopefully this morning, I believe that um, the Lord has been at work and that we still have a, a word for this morning. And the text that is in your worship folder I will get to speak on again later on. And I think what you discover is that both of these texts are connected to each other um, when we're talking about uh, the church and we're talking about the community. So I will actually do, this is sort of like part one of um, a discussion that I'm gonna have with you all. And then part two, we'll get back to salt and light. Uh, and I know if you were excited about that text, uh, you can come back for that. Now, Pastor Howard is not here. And Miss Kelly are not here because they're at a, a family wedding in Atlanta. And so we're looking forward to having them back again. And when they come back uh, next week, next Sunday, Pastor Howard is going to continue with our series on I'm Asking for a Friend. And he's going to address that que uh, questions around sexuality. So as he kind of warned you about last week, like, man, we've been as if talking about misogyny wasn't hard enough. We're not going to get into sexuality. So that's, that should be very challenging and interesting and hope, hopefully fun in some ways, too, um, as we see how the Lord uh, challenges us and addresses our, our pressing issues. Now, um, you've heard a lot about truth's table. And there's good reason for it. Because there are people that are talking about truth, that this, as the saying goes today, that need to, people need to speak their truth. We have an experience, questions, ways in which each of us has been wounded by the world in which we live. And we need to be able to express that, to share that with someone. Now, but the issue is that we're not sure if other people are listening. We need to be in a place where we know that others are not only going to hear about the truth of our experience, but they're also going to listen to us and to help us achieve healing. 
And I'll get to this in a second, but the church, the church ought to be the place where the speaking of those truths about our experience do not fall on deaf ears. And we know and are convinced of the one who is able to heal us. And many people speak their truths and they just kind of hit the ceiling and we don't know if those truths are being heard and maybe just, you know, we're speaking to one another, but does God hear us? Has God done something? And is there a truth that he's speaking to us that he wants us to hear that will address our truths? A lot of truth in there. But we need this weekend. We need it for our times. We need it for our hearts. We need it because God has called us to be a church that is full and is identified by truth and love. We need to become a community that is trustworthy. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, being a trustworthy church, a church that can be trusted with the woundedness of the world, a church that can be trusted with the truths of the wounds of our brothers and sisters. And, and, and again, not just out in the neighborhood and out in the world, but also in here. Can we be trusted with each other's experiences? So I'm going to talk to you today about being a trustworthy church. Now, the, the text that you had read to you this morning is a familiar one if you've been in the church for a long time. And you know, you know about what, what's going on there, what has happened. Right? So Jesus had just, been, had just ascended to the Father's right hand, and he had taken his rightful place as king over all creation. And then he, before he left, he told his disciples that they were to wait for the Holy Spirit, that they were to wait there in Jerusalem, the holy city, wait there for the Holy Spirit to come. And so now what we see in this text is the Holy Spirit in action. He's come. Right, Peter, uh, uh, we, you know, right before that, you, you see people speaking in different languages. They were supernaturally enabled to speak in languages that were not their own. And other people were hearing this and they were amazed. And they're like, wow, we're hearing people speak in our language. And we know that these people are from like the backwaters of society. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, Duolingo or something like that just got downloaded into them. It's like the Matrix. They just got something plugged into the back of their head. And all of a sudden, they can speak languages. Like, wow, this is incredible. And they're speaking about the gospel. They're telling us about the praises and the wonders of God. We're hearing them say these things in our own tongues. And then Peter responds to them, and he begins to preach. And he begins to tell them about what the, what's going on. And he tells them about Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the one that God has, has sent to his the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the rescuer of the world. He's the one that God has sent. And guess what? You all were part of seeing him crucified. See, you've been, your wounds are, are, are so deep that you are actually complicit in tearing down the one who came to save you. But guess what? God and his sovereign mercy and his plan used your sins to, and turned it around for your salvation. But when Jesus was crucified, then he was also made into the sacrifice for your sins. And, G and, and the scriptures tell us, Luke, who's the writer of, of the book of Acts, he says, as the people were hearing this, they were cut to the heart. Right? And, and they, were, they were cut to the heart, or another way of saying this is that they were wounded. They were wounded in their conscience. Their, their, their hearts couldn't, couldn't, couldn't take it. And, 
It, it, what is this? What has happened? We, we're, we're complicit in, in, the, in the brokenness of our world, and we're complicit in, in, in not listening to, to God's truth for us. And we, we tried to silence him, and here it is in the silencing of his truth. We have discovered and we have been given deliverance. They were cut to the heart. Brothers, what shall we do? They said. Peter tells them, repent. Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promises for, for you and for those who are far off and for your children. And the scriptures tell us that they went from 100, about 120 people, to upwards of 3,000 people. All these people have been wounded by the grace of God. Now, when um, I was in a, a barber shop not too long ago, uh, some of you are familiar with these different award shows, right? The music shows and stuff like that. And the one, one of the ones I used to watch back in the day was the BET Hip Hop Awards and, um, or the American Music Awards and things like that. And I, I'm in a barber shop, and one of the guys was just talking about it uh, recently about the Hip Hop Awards. And he says, you know, man, that, you know, the awards used to be off the hook. Now it's ratchet, right? This thing is ratchet. Now, let me help you out, because some of you are wondering, what is ratchet? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, let me read to you definition. Ratchet. This is from the Urban Dictionary. You can go online and get this. Ratchet, a person, place, or thing described to be in poor shape or bad taste. Or get this, or one not to be trusted. Huh. So now, now, the awards that he was saying have, have fallen from this place of former glory, where, where, where you, it was something that you can enjoy, and it's become something untrustworthy and unattractive. And, and, and some of us, we have small children. It used to be that way. Like when my kids were coming up, I used to love Nick Jr. because they could watch that. And now Nick Jr. has all these commercials and such. And I'm like, dang, I can't get away from all these different you know, people trying to sell stuff to my kids. That used to be the one channel where they could just watch good cartoons, right? And, and in my words, I'm like, Nick Jr. is ratchet now, right? So, but you, know, it's, you, you could go to it and you, you went to it and you knew that it, it had something that would elevate your glory and not diminish it. Something that was attractive and would lift you up as you connected to it and not diminish your glory. It has become untrustworthy, unattractive, ratchet. Now, now my, mom, my mom would say, you know, if, if you see someone in the street who's kind of acting ratchet right, and that sort of deal, she would say that's somebody who doesn't, who doesn't have any home training. Right? You, you, need, you, need, you needed some home training. How's this connected to church? In this passage, we see that the church is growing daily, right? Weekly, hourly. However, many stay away from the church today because the church has become ratchet, unattractive, untrustworthy, tasteless. Some turn away, no doubt, because of their sin. And the book of Acts gets at that. You see that, right? Some people just don't want anything to do with the things of God because of where their heart is, the state of their heart. That's true. But another cause for people staying away from the church is because in some way, form, or fashion, the church has lacked home training. Somehow, Christians have become tasteless to our neighbors because we lack vitality. 
we lack the new life that we see here in this passage. So the question that we should ask is, how have we become untrustworthy as Christians? If you're you're really a Christian, then you should want to know, like, how, how can I increase in generosity? How can I increase in appeal? How can I get to the place where those who are around me and near me and not too far can trust me with their wounds, can speak their truth and know that they will be heard and will be led toward healing and grace. So we have to do a diagnostic. And a diagnostic, this, this scripture helps us to do that in two ways. It shows us the signs of new life and it shows us the source of that new life. So it shows us, shows us this, the signs of new life and it gives us and points us to the source. So the, the, the first sign that I would say is here in the text is truth, a dedication to truth. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles, these were the men who had walked with Jesus from the very beginning and were witnesses to his ministry. And so they had been given the authority by Jesus himself to teach on and to to preach about um, Jesus' own life on earth and his ministry and his message. And these new Christians, because they had been wounded by grace, they've been cut to the heart, they wanted to know more about this Jesus. Who is this? They were hungry. They were thinking, like, and it wasn't just because they wanted knowledge. They just wanted more information. They were excited about some new religion. But no, it was because they had been changed. And they wanted to know, who is this that changed me? Who is this that saw me in the midnight hour when nobody else could hear me and brought rescue and peace to me, the peace that surpasses all understanding? Who is it that saw me in my sin and said, still said, I love you and reconciled me to himself and that without me having to lift a finger to do it? Who is it that changed me? Who is it that made me into the person that I could look into the mirror and, and be proud of and say, I have dignity and worth? Who is it that did this to me? They were wounded by God's grace, and so they wanted to know more about Jesus. Now, some people today say that doctrine doesn't matter. That we, we don't really you know, what it, you know what is truth, like Pilate, you know, Pontius Pilate. What is truth? What is that? We don't really need to know about doctrine. We just really just need to have a changed life and, you know, just be with a Jesus who maybe is just kind of, you know, he's just forgiving me of my sins, wants me to do good to other people. One of our elders, um, Brad Snyder, shared with uh, some of us the other day this, a poll that was taken of uh, so-called evangelicals, and uh, some, there were some surprising statistics. Uh, some of them were that 51% of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you believe. It's just no matter. Doesn't matter how you worship. God doesn't really care. Just as long as you're worshiping Him. Fifty-one percent of evangelicals kind of explains like some of the confusion and, and like the stuff that's been going on. Right? That's just how people are just kind of like I, I, I don't I don't know if evangelicals have any convictions. Seventy-eight percent of evangelicals believe that Jesus is just the first and and greatest created being. 
Right? Not the Son of God, not the one who, who coexisted forever with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but a created being. But he's the first one that was made and the greatest. 78%. If we cannot subscribe or submit to God's truth about himself, we can't hear him. How are we supposed to hear other people? You see the connection? See, and, 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 then, and then when it, when it comes to us being, being, being changed and, and, and loving others, well, how do you know that you're loving others as Jesus loves? Once you begin to answer that question, you're getting into doctrine, right? How could a 30-year-old Jew from thousands of years ago have anything to do with the sins and the life of a 21st century woman? As soon as you start giving an answer to that, you're getting into doctrine. See, was Jesus the son of God? What did his death have to do with our forgiveness? You have to get into doctrine to answer those questions. So these people, the first Christians, they began to study the scriptures because they wanted to know the one who had wounded them by grace. They wanted to know the truth about him. Now, on the other hand, and I think this is what we struggle with when it comes to truth. That doctrine by itself can make a miserable and ratchet people, right? It becomes impossible to perform God's law when all you're talking about is just the doctrine, just the truth, right? Just, this, is how, this is how God says we really ought to live, right? Be authoritative about that. This is what it says in his word, what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to believe. And we, we look at that and we try to perform it and we try to grasp onto it. And if it's just, if we're just left with that alone, we can be left in dismay and despair. Because if we really understand the demands that God makes on our lives, it will crush you. And if we get to crush you, then you live under bitterness and a despair will, will make you into a person that is quick to criticize other people. Right? Because of these, these standards that God has, you know, you, you, you're just like, well, you, you're not living like this. You know, you're not doing that. So, like that, so you will criticize other people. Or it makes you to a person that can't receive criticism. Because you're under the weight of God's standard. Under the weight of his law and not knowing what, what am I supposed to do with that. So just easy, you know, just you know, easily offended. Somebody gives a critique. You know, you go to your job and, you know, the, what you hate and despise is the 360, right? You know, that thing's coming. Like, oh, please, Lord, not the performance review, please. You know, uh, or you go to school, right, and you're taking your test, please. Not another exam. Don't give me that grade back. I don't want to see it. You know, I just want to go to school and enjoy myself. Can I just enjoy my classes? Why do we have to have grades? All that kind of stuff. But, you know, the performance, it, it kills me. But if we try to extract the moral principles from the places like the Ten Commandments, or moral principles from things like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Just extract it, you know, what's there. Right? We can uh, feel pretty confident about ourselves if we just stay on the surface of those things. But if you really see it for what it is, right? Love, love your, uh, your neighbor as yourself. Right? And then Jesus says even, you're even supposed to love your enemies in the same way. That's hard. Right? Uh, uh, if we really begin to understand these things, then we find that it's too hard for us to do. It will leave 
our spirit and our soul naked before God. Like morally speaking, it just leaves us naked. Unless the perfect life of Jesus is shared with us by his spirit. And when you go back into Acts chapter 2, you know, Peter tells us, he says, this, this is the promise. That if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do you receive the forgiveness of sins, but you also receive the Holy Spirit. He's the one that brings the perfect life of Christ to you as you put your trust in him. So the demands of the law are met in Jesus and the righteousness that comes from, from performing that law perfectly is also given to you. And that's how we are then set free to explore God's ways. We are set free to walk on the path of life with the hope of learning God's law over time. For Paul says to us, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We live in the presence of God, free of judgment if we are connected to the Lord Jesus. I just preached doctrine, right? If that's not true, then where are we? Where are we? So all doctrines of the Bible, I believe, point to Jesus. And in him, we become a part of a, a world that is populated by people who are being transformed by grace. We become a part of a people who are being made beautiful by grace. No wonder thousands of people were starting to come. Wow. God will transform us. God will make us holy. God will make us beautiful. If that's true, that's what I want. We're being transformed by true truth. Being transformed by the living truth. The truth that can handle all of our truths, ultimate reality, who can handle our reality and even make it beautiful. They were cut to the heart, wounded by grace. And if we have received new life through Jesus Christ, then we become dedicated to that same truth. Now there's another sign, which is love. It says that they were dedicated to a common life they were dedicated to the breaking of bread and they were dedicated to the prayers. And Luke describes their dedication to that common life. Again, in verse 44, he says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was already this incredible diversity within the early church. And like we talk about in our mission statement here at Christ Central, like we're pursuing diverse community, diverse relationships, building it. This isn't something that we made up. Right, because we're trying to be cool. We're on Central Avenue, and we're in a, you know, a, a, a hip part of Charlotte. Let's just come up with this. No, no, this is part of who the church has always been, and part of what the church has always strived to become. And this early church, like they had this common life, but it was also teeming with different ethnicities. Now it's not here in the text that I've given to you, but if you look back in, in chapter two, when the, all the people who be, who began to hear these other folks, these Galileans, these first disciples 
who were following Jesus, speaking their languages, they said, they said, look, look, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, right? Africa, y'all, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them, these people, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Incredibly diverse. And they were together. They weren't just diverse. They weren't just this loose sort of crowd of different people from different places. But they were together in each other's lives, constantly and everywhere. We see they were at, together at the temple, but they were also in each other's homes. And not only that, but they were serving one another in word and deed. Discussing the apostles' teaching, but also taking care of those who had need. Now, we have to be careful about this, right? Because it's so easy. It's so easy. So easy. To call out God's agenda for the church for our own agendas. Our political, social, or cultural agendas. And if we're, if we're really sitting at the table of truth, and eating from what the living truth gives to us, we, uh, our agendas become subservient to his. And what's happening here is not, this picture is not about communism, right? It's, it, it, these people weren't just selling, you know, they're selling possessions. Oh man, you know, that's some new economic system and uh, this is how we ought to be. No, right? Because some people, they were still meeting in each other's homes. So how can they meet in each other's homes if they're just like giving it away and then it's like some people still own their homes. Owning your home is okay. Buying a house is good. Real estate is a blessing, right? So, so that, you know, and, so, and, and you, have, you have a larger home, that's fine, okay? There's nothing, right? And they were using their homes to serve one another. And then, but on the other hand, this wasn't an excess, uh, an excess of capitalism, right? Kind of like to think like, oh, is, is this... Isn't it? This is, this is capitalist Jesus, capitalist God at work. No, they were learning to care for one another in practical ways, in sacrificial ways, not being uh, 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 servants to greed, but learning how to give what they've been given away so that others could, could share in common. So it's important then that, that we not limit this love that God has given to us uh, to, where we might, to where we might stand on certain social or political or cultural things. I mean, you, you heard about that. You already heard testimony about this, right, this morning. This is how, how the Lord begins to, to shape us and to, to break down our allegiances to different things so that we are able to have our hearts broadened in love and able to love more people who are not like us. If we are being transformed by the love of God, if his love is having an effect on us, then we can begin to have life in common with people who have differences from us and, and not worry about what kind of message that sends to people who might be in our camp. We not be worried about that. What do you stand on police reform? Where do you stand on singleness and marriage? What do you, are you Republican or Libertarian? Where do you stand on parenting styles? These things were not supposed to be dividers within the church. 
And yet today, these things are exactly what divide us. And no wonder we're not able to hear the woundedness, the truths, the reality of those outside of the church because we're struggling with our own. The church has become divided in our day, and it ought not be so. For the sign of new life is love, in which we are taking care of one another in spite of our differences, and even through those differences, we begin to love one another. These were people who wanted to know the one, again, who had wounded their hearts. And the one who had wounded their hearts was at work in each of them. And they were excited to hear about what's going on. Right? You, oh, the Messiah has come. Jesus is real. He's risen. He, he, he's, no, he's conquered death. And he's conquered sin. What, what's he doing in your life? What are you learning about Jesus? Oh, man, you're, you're an Arab. What's he, what's he doing in your family? Oh, wow, you're from this region. What's he doing in your story? How, how's God at work? They wanted to know all of the, this, the, this, the whole, as the scriptures say, the manifold witness of God's glory. And they couldn't wait to hear about what was going on in each other's lives. Oh, you're a young person. You're a teenager. What's God doing in your life? Oh, you're, you're a, a senior. How, what's God teaching you? Right? They, they, couldn't, they couldn't wait to hear more. I want to see more of God's activity, more of his glory. I want to learn more about him, what he's doing in our world in real time. How's he changing you? How's he changing us? Now, I know that even as we see this picture, and I've certainly struggled with this at times, there's a, there's a, there might be a complaint that rises up in the heart. And that, that complaint is just, Hey, look, that, that's, that's fine. This is all well and good that there's this picture of, of community and people loving one another and being involved in each other's lives and hearing stories of, of God's grace and all that sort of stuff. But, man, you know, I only, the only time I really see other people in, from God's church is on Sundays. That's really it, right? Like, and I, I want to have community that, that goes beyond Sunday, right? And some of us, we... We had that longing still, right? I, I want to be able to experience this kind of community. I want to be able to experience that more than just one day out of the week. I'd like to have it multiple times you know, um, throughout each week. And listen, we all know that life gets busy. I mean, did you know that Charlotte is in, in, part of the, uh, uh, in, in the top 10 of some, one of the hardest working cities in the country? Right? This is stuff, you can go online and find this out. <laughs> um, you would think it would be New York. I mean, there's a difference, though, between... Uh, what they, how, you know, how they measure busyness and that sort of deal. But we're busy. There's a lot of work to do in this city alone. We got a lot of stuff going on. And so it's hard to be able to connect with one another outside of this. But Jerusalem, where these folks are, in this text, when in this, at this time, the Jerusalem was then also a global trade city. And they had less tools Less tools than we do today to get her done, right? They just, they, they, but nothing could stop them. As you read this, nothing could stop them from experiencing this shared life that they had in Jesus. Nothing would get in their way. They found ways to get around it. And so then the real question is, do we care about each other's stories? Or are we content with the meet and greet that we have here on Sunday morning? Do we really want to go the extra mile to hear about the truths that God is working into one another's and each other's realities? To hear it, to bear witness to it, to give God glory for it, to walk alongside 
each other through. Are we willing to do that? Or just settle for a, 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 a ritual that we have once a week and remain virtual strangers to each other? See, if, we, if we're not able to build a deeper union with one another through Jesus Christ, there's no way that we're then able to handle right, those who are starting to come in and those we, that we are trying to reach. But they were also dedicated to the breaking of bread. I remember that Jesus had instituted the new Passover. He initiated this by his works, what he had done. And so he broke bread. And when he broke bread, he had shown uh, at uh, his, the, the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper, Last Supper, uh, he showed how his death would guarantee rele release from the tyranny of death. He showed how his death would, uh, would bring death to death. For all those who would believe in him, they would be guaranteed eternal life. The poet Walt Whitman talks about death in his poem, uh, Time to Come. And he describes it this way. He says, oh, death, a black and pierceless pall hangs round thee in the future state. No eye may see, no mind may grasp that mystery of fate. And Jesus had encountered that great mystery of fate. He had gone headlong into the black and the pierceless Paul. And then Peter said and preached to this crowd that God had raised him from the dead, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death forever. And so this motley crew of, of believers that are, that are there in, in Jerusalem, they were, they were, they were made to, to, to dwell in hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ apart from their privilege or their lack thereof. They were made to dwell in hope apart from what they had been given economically and culturally and socially. They were meant to dwell in hope apart from what they did not have, apart from their poverty, apart from their weakness. And they had accepted heaven's rescue. And they were eager to remember the Lord's Supper. And so when they came together, they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. They were eager to worship the Lord. Again, like I said, they were doing this everywhere. So in the temple, but also in their homes. Because their hearts have been wounded by grace. And we see also that they were dedicated to the prayers. What is that? I mean, there's, yes, it's praying in general. But there's also that definite article there, the, the prayers. And, and, you know, at the time, you know, in ancient Jewish life, this meant, as some of us are familiar with this phrase now, they were dedicated to praying the hours. So, right, morning, noonday, evening, some other hours in between. And for some of us, we think that sounds like being a monk or something. It's like, what is that? And yes, that's where, you know, in monastic life does get this. Uh, from ancient Jewish life, but it's been going on for a long time. As a matter of fact, there are some that belong to other religions and claim Jesus for themselves because they look at Christians and say, you guys don't pray more than once a day. Jesus really belongs to us, not you guys. Because you, you, only, you pray for 15 minutes, you know, once, once a day. But man, look, he prayed at least three times a day. And that's what we do. We major on that. So Jesus really belongs to us. Right? Just, you know, people say that, but, then, but here's what the, the people were doing. They were, you know, but no, this has always been a part of what God has desired and wanted among his people. It's supposed to have 
a vibrant and deep prayer life. And so they were dedicated to praying the hours. But they were also dedicated to just praying in general. And we know that prayer involves dialogue, talking to God, listening to him. And it's also a reminder, prayer. It's also this reminder that we're, uh, where death and sin do not exist, which is in the heavens where, where the Lord uh, resides, right? That place is accessible to us. That place is acceptable, accessible to earth. Remember Jesus said in the, in the model prayer, in the Lord's prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as where? As it is in heaven. Through prayer, we remember that we have, we have access to eternal life. We have access to everything that we long for. The, 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 the pastor, N.T. Wright, he says, he says, prayer makes no sense whatever unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together. And we can share in that already. Right now. We can share in the heavenly life. And then these people were dedicated. Like prayer. See but, but prayer is just a tease. If God's never going to come down here. If God's never going to bridge the gap between earth and heaven. And this is where as people are struggling with their truths. And what we really mean by that is. Right? When, when people say, I need to be able to speak my truth, they're, they're talking from their struggles with life. Right? Not necessarily like, like you, you know, nobody really says, oh, let me speak my truth because I had a great day. Like, that's not, hey, let me tell you my truth. Like, we're trying to bear, we're bearing witness into the way that, that someone is struggling. And yet, prayer reminds us that our struggle does not fall on deaf ears. That heaven itself is coming down to earth and has always been a part of God's plan. If God has already come and he has guaranteed salvation of all things, salvation of stars and moons and giraffes and broken sinners, then prayer is a foretaste of the age to come. It's a foretaste. And the earliest Christians showed their love for the world and for one another by lifting all these things up to God in hope that they were dedicated to prayer because they heard the, the realities of their, their new brothers and sisters they began to pray for them to pray for each other because heaven's coming down to earth because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son prayer matters they were engaged in it, engaged in it. This is, what, this is a sign of life and a sign of love. And so the people began to dwell with one another, immediately following Jesus going up into heaven, and they showed signs of new life through their dedication to two things now, which are important, their dedication to truth and their dedication to love. So how do we get there? How do we remain there? I think it should be obvious by now that the vitality of the first Christians and the vitality of the church wasn't something that these people, that our ancestors had generated on their own. But that new life, that vitality was something that was given to them. It was a gift. And these people weren't just a, a social club. It wasn't a benevolent society, a religious club of people who had come together and, and liked certain things that were written down on paper or what people were preaching and they liked certain kinds of folk. No, 
And there had come a time in which they did begin to come like that. You read like books like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you see this sort of this party spirit that arises, right? People, oh, we just like certain preachers and all that sort of deal. But, you know, um, and we want to be careful because it's not like we don't do that today, right? So the church today doesn't do that, right? We don't celebrate certain preachers and elevate them above Jesus himself, right? We don't do that. We don't, we don't do that, not in the church, okay? Yeah, no, nobody's hearing me on that. That's all right. That's all right. Um, <laughs> but when they weren't just, you know, they weren't just this, this crowd of loosely gathered individuals who, uh, who decided that they were going to volunteer their time and their talent and treasure to be with one another and to, and to serve uh, the world through some religious means. But they experienced a common life that had come through the spirit of God himself. And they had been wounded in their hearts by the gospel. And then from that woundedness, from what God was doing in and through them, there came an overflow. And they experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit. They began to experience the joy of being adopted by God, of being brought into his household. Now, they, they had at this time, they had the ho this habit of hospitality, right? It was just part of their culture. Right, and if you go to um, households that still represent a lot of traditional cultures, and, and even and still here in the South, we have this culture of hospitality, right? We're familiar with that. You, you know, you make room for the stranger, and you try to do that, at least on a personal level. At least you feel some sense of shame if you don't have, you know, uh, if you don't have a bed for somebody or something like that. So it, it was a cultural commitment already. But what they did for one another and for others who were coming, it wasn't just about their culture. They were opening up their homes because they now belong to somebody else's home. They belong to the home that God made with them. God began to make a home with broken sinners. They believed in this witness, the apostolic witness to the resurrection. And they became filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were being rescued from their sins. And Jesus says this. He says, if anyone loves me. He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, my Father and I, will come to him and make our home with him. God is living. God is alive, and he is with us. And if we are in Christ, we are his children. The earliest Christians had a new home and a new family, and so do we. This is a source of our truth. And this is a source of our love. Is it true that there is ratchetness in the church? Yeah. We know that. We've experienced it. We've participated in it. But the way that we get away from that is continuing to allow ourselves to be wounded by the grace of God. Because the good news is that repentance and faith is not just some one-time decision, right? It's not, oh, well, you know, when back when I was in high school or college or when I was six years old or whatever, you know, I made a decision for Jesus and, you know, I, I turned from my, my ways and believed in Jesus. That's it. No, repentance and faith is a way of life. Each and every day we are called to do it. We need to be able to submit to our Savior and practice our adoption 
day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, and realize that the church is our home. It is where we are schooled in the art of love. And when we are wounded by the grace of God, then we go from being tasteless to trustworthy. And we become trustworthy not only with our, our own hearts and with the hearts of those who belong to the household of God, but also trustworthy with those who are on the outside. We remember that God cares for us. And he actually provides home training for us for all of life. Not just one stage of it, not just in one place, but for all of life. Look around. Look around and see that those who have wounded hearts, wounded by the, the sin and, and, and darkness of our world and the harsh realities, look around and see that these, these wounded hearts are your brothers and your sisters, your neighbors. What will we do? Will we rely on the grace of God? Will we confess our own woundedness and our participation in it and allow the one who was wounded for us to heal us, to speak his truth of forgiveness and empowerment over us so that we can be real about ourselves and allow other people then to be real with us? Because we can't be real with ourselves and we cannot receive life from someone outside of ourselves, then when other people speak harsh realities or things that we may hear when our sisters from truth's table come, we're not going to be able to handle it. They will say some things and we'll run away. It's too much if we're relying and trying to receive life from within ourselves. But oh, if God is pouring his grace into us and if he is giving us life, then as Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. All things. This is how we become a trustworthy church. By receiving life from the one who was wounded for us. Being real by our woundedness in the presence of God. The true and the living God. So the way forward, I believe, is not just to become small and inward looking only being about ourselves and you know our own small groups right some people will come as a result of this weekend i believe some people will come they'll be looking for the day hey we heard that there's some we've heard whispers of new life in jesus christ and these sisters have opened that up. We, we're hearing their voices. They're opening this up to us. And maybe there's a possibility. Is this a community where I can come and partake and be a part of this new life? Discover it. Ask questions. Receive it. Are we ready to receive? Are we ready to open ourselves? Or do we want to be small and tight and, and just kind of hang on to each other and be parochial and you know, we're just about us and, 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 and I want my, my friends and they know my stuff and I don't feel like anybody else coming in here and people and this is their political commitment I can't know I don't want them in here and this is what they like culturally and this is the kind of music they like and oh, I don't want them in here but no if we are broken 
by the love of God, then our circles can be broken so that others can be poured in and they can receive the grace of God. And we receive it together and we begin to hear new testimonies, new stories of grace. But scriptures tell us that as God is at work in the world through Jesus Christ, we begin to come to places uh, year after year where we begin to sing a new song. Are we singing the same old song? Are we still marching to the beat of, um, oh Lord, are we still marching to the beat of the star-spangled Jesus? Are we open to the real Jesus? The real one. We are open to him. We will be open to others. As we devote ourselves to the new life of our Heavenly Father in truth and love, grounded in the word, in living worship, and our common life, we will discover that we have more than enough, more than enough life to share with our neighbors who are hungry for God's salvation. Will we be a trustworthy community? We can be by the grace of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that uh, we can be tasteless sometimes. That our lives can lack appeal, not because we may not have a certain level of success, because we don't have a certain amount of money certain jobs, all that stuff. That's just, those are lies, Lord. Those are the things that we, we, are, we are deceived into believing. But Father, we can become tasteless sometimes because we do not reflect the life that you're giving to us. We do not reflect the truth and the, and the love that is essential and is a part of who you are. But oh Lord, we thank you that um, you are constantly calling us to be wounded by your grace, to be cut to the heart. So that we can be sources. We're not sources, Lord. You're the source, but we can be instruments, conduits of your life to one another and to the world. People who are dying for salvation, who are hungry for your rescue, hungry for renewal. Lord, bring them all. Let them come with their questions. Let them come with their issues. We know that we may not be sufficient to bear those burdens on our own, but you have promised to be with us. Heaven is here on earth even now through Jesus Christ by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We want to be a people who rely on you so that we can handle one another. Not for our own agendas, but for yours. That you will be glorified with the diversity that will come and be, that you will be glorified with uh, the praises and the testimonies that will come as others, including ourselves, will together find in you, in you alone. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.